So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is your Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world in some way. Talking about a subject or subjects that you already know something about, but this time we're digging in and getting into the details to allow you to understand what could possibly be holding you back and so you can break through that ceiling and get control of your business and ultimately live a better life. Before we dive in today, don't forget to subscribe, share with your friends, make sure you're giving us feedback, the good and the bad. We got to have both. We love the feedback and we got to get this content in the hands of the people who can use it. So for today, my guest is a guy I've known for many years and seen through many different uh, phases of, of, of business. But background, George Joseph is, uh, has, has grown and sold an alcohol recovery program um, and, and all kinds of journeys that went through, through that that are just worth talking about. But over the last year um, has been in, the, in growing a second uh, – uh, alcohol recovery, the positive recovery centers, at the same time leading uh, a, a, a small chain of restaurants, the uh, um, the, the common bond restaurant. So I got to know, like as a, as a consummate entrepreneur, I want to talk about and hear your lessons learned from 2020 as our first podcast in 2021. What what did you learn in 2020 and what stories do you have to tell us? Because you've just been, it looks like you've been killing it with all the things you've been doing in this d- difficult time. And you are so passionate about culture. So, George, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, man. Happy 2021. Uh, what I learned in 2020 is I should have stayed retired and enjoyed life instead of having a restaurant and rehab centers during a, a pandemic. But, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you take lemons and turn them into lemonade. And we were in the middle of growing two companies in, you know, the toughest time in, in the world. But I felt like you know, you you see the best in people and you sometimes, unfortunately, see the worst in people. But the same with employees. You see, sometimes the, they, they rise to the occasion of the challenge. And I saw a lot of that in 2020. And so I feel positive and optimistic about 2021 and what we've created. And I feel like after the pandemic, uh, it's going to like catapult both companies to the next level. So that's what we hope for, right? Every time we, we go into a difficult time, we say, we're just going to grind it out. And that way, when we come out the other side, we're going to be that much stronger. And and I've heard you speak on this topic, and I've, and I've known you through the years. And so every, I wouldn't say everything, but you, you always tell a pretty strong story of culture and mission and success. What, were there any times in 2020 when you were thinking, man, I don't know about this? There, there are many times. <laughs> there are many. There were absolutely many times, and my my wife would, I think, look at me and say, "Why didn't you stay retired?" But you know, it's the the fun of it is that you know it's the challenge. It's like I get inspired or motivated. I mean, I think you can react two ways. You can really get fearful and roll up in a ball and say, "Oh shit, the world is uh, you know falling," or you can get inspired. And, and most of the time, when I've been at my toughest moments or lowest point, somehow, you know, I don't know if it's God given, but I have an ability inside to, to like get inspired and to, you know, really go full court press. I mean, you really got to push it and think every way, which way things were going. Like we, you know, I'll just use one example and I'm, I'm ready to give it up. But 
when the uh, pandemic started, I took over our responses on um, Instagram. I have I'm not really good at Instagram. I only got on it because of Common Bond, and we have like <laughs> different <laughs> yes for the for the restaurants for okay. the restaurants for Common Bond. So we have twenty eight thousand followers basically, and so they'll ask you like, how, what size is that cake, or you know, what is <laughs> you know, how many flavors do you have of this? So a lot of things I didn't know, so I'd have to go to our team to ask what the answer was. But my goal was to always respond very rapidly. And to be responsive to our customers because, you know, we were, everybody was trying to figure it out. Like all of the dining rooms got shut down. So like what happens next? Well, we had our full service because as a bakery, we have a line of pastries and entremets and, and cakes and breads and things like that. So it's like we still wanted people to come in the stores and grab things, but just leave. And we also started curbside and takeout and all the things that were that have kept us alive. And so on Instagram, people are now with direct messaging. They're like, Hey, we, they want to know an answer like that moment, you know? And so I've done, I think a pretty decent job of responding. And some of it has been actually creates opportunities. Like we want to partner with you or we want to do, you know, some of it was, you know, you just kind of pass on it, but some of the opportunities like television, I mean, we had some people reach out from television, some from radio. I mean, it's just it's been amazing how communication is done nowadays. We just won an award from the Bakery Guild, Bakery of the Year and Pastry Chef of the Year. And they've reached out to us on Instagram say, Hey, we've been trying to get in contact with you. The gala is this Sunday. It was like on a Friday. I'm like, holy no. And we weren't gonna tell you that you won, but we wanted somebody to be there. And so we <laughs> we had to scramble, whereas if it was a you know, if we had somebody, just the clerk or somebody, you know, monitored Instagram, it might have got dropped. But luckily, we were able to attend the event and get the awards. And so it's, it's you know, challenges uh, create opportunities the way I look at it. So I really want to kind of let's stay in the dark part for a minute and then we'll take it to yeah. the light part. So the, right. the, the the question of and I want you to think about that. Was there, was there any part of the year where you thought like this is terrible this is not worth fighting but also tie that into you said and, and I'm very much about the positive side of this but I want to kind yeah. of dig into the, the worst what was the worst yeah. you saw in people you know I think it's the you know um, the mask let's talk about the mask situation when it first happened the first day we were able to reopen the restaurants uh, and let people in and sit down and eat we were busy we only had 25% of the table set up, but we were busy. And we had a troubled employee, and we, you know, it wasn't mandated mask. And so that Friday is a Friday, all days. I wish they would have started on a Monday, but they yeah. opened the restaurants up on a Friday, which was a terrible decision. And that weekend, that day, we didn't have mandatory mask. And we had a troubled employee who. Uh, his girlfriend and I didn't know it at the time on the Friday at one of the restaurants they basically tried to block the parking lot as kind of like a little picketing that we were not uh, safe because of the mask and the people and things like that even though we were following the guidelines so the next day uh, we made the decision to mandate mask we bought we had mask at the door if you didn't have one we asked you to wear one if you didn't want to wear one, we ask you to wait outside. You can order from outside. And this one particular employee um, 
was supposed to actually watch the door and make sure people were coming in. And he had been a troubled employee and the manager, general manager had said, look, if you don't feel safe, because obviously the employees have to feel safe being there. If you don't feel safe, you don't have to work. No problem. Well, he, she caught him on his cell phone when he was supposed to be watching the door away from the front door. And so she fired him. Well, him and his, and his girlfriend and their friends started piling on comments and, you know, calling the fire marshal that we had too many people and all that stuff. And so <clears throat> that happened for quite a while. They were posting on Instagram how terrible we were and they didn't get my name right, but that I was greedy and just out for the money. And they would try to come around and take pictures of the people inside the restaurant because once you had a table, you could take your mask down. So at that moment... I'm new to Instagram. I don't even know you can block comments. So we're trying to respond to comments. We're trying to erase comments. And, the, you know, it might have been, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 people. I don't know how many people were following along. But then our regular customers were starting to get wind of, you know, see these comments. And so we were just like really scrambling for a long time until we, I'm reaching out to other EO entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry, what to do. And finally we got the the lady who ran our Instagram, I guess, didn't know either that you could just block the comments. So we finally blocked the comments and then we had to work on our response. And it took me days basically to work on this response of, look, these are all the things we do. Six foot rule, less tables, people are masked, our employees take temperatures when they walk in the door, they answer the questionnaire. We're doing all these things that, you know, I think make us a great culture. But that day and that week, was just miserable. It was so miserable because he made comments in the in the restaurant industry. You have a base salary of uh, hourly wage of like two to three dollars, and then you have tips. And so that particular person said, "You know, you're only paying two dollars and fifty cents or whatever it was. I don't even remember what the amount was." And I didn't, you know, I, I understood it kinda. And so. It made us look like we wouldn't pay in these people. Well, with the tips, he was making $17 an hour. So it wasn't like he wasn't making money. So, well, my check was, and he's responded on the Instagram. So you're, resp- you're dealing with somebody who's got issues in front of the whole world. All, at, least, at least all our followers are 20-something thousand potential followers that are potentially seeing this. And so he only worked like 11 hours. That's why he made what he said he made. <laughs> but it was 17 bucks an hour. Because you have to, you put the tips on top of it, or you could pay a minimum wage or higher, whatever you want to pay. But for people that are in the tip industry, they like it because obviously they work hard and they get good tips. So some of our customers are like, should I give a larger tip? These poor oh people gosh. are only getting two dollars an hour. You know, I mean, they didn't understand minimum wage or how things are paid. So from a dark side, that was probably the darkest moment. Is to you're you're basically getting your integrity questioned and you're getting your safety issues questioned and you're dealing with a pandemic that, you know, in the middle of a, you know, the toughest time for a restaurant to even be open, you're dealing with those kind of things. Obviously, 99.9% of all the customers have been amazing and thankful and given, you know, tips to our employees and, you know, understanding and patient and, you know, the reviews were great. And then, it got to a point where people were frustrated, so you start getting some bad reviews, or you know this this person didn't you know get the sugar right, or whatever you know whatever it is. So it, it, you don't know what your responses are from the public, but you do your best to to deal with them. We you know we'd see thousands of people a week 
that are coming in or getting takeout. And so it's it's a chance for those kind of issues to happen. But this was in May, and thankfully it all died down. And, you know, we our reputation was not tarnished maybe by a few of those people, but we've kind of had to work through that. So restaurant and bar obviously are at the top of the lists that of, of industries most hard hit by the lockdowns and any, anything related to coronavirus. What's that right. like? Especially, I mean, you know, compare compare com- contrast now from you know March, April, May time frame of like this could potentially turn us off. Yeah. Every, how how do you how do you feel when you wake up every morning trying to trying to figure out if you have a business or not? You know, we're blessed because it's fast, casual, and drive through. Uh, we have a drive-through location we opened in, during the pandemic, which was smart on our part to do that. It's good for our customers. But the ones that are most concerning are the guys that are just bars and are the fine dining restaurants. You know, fine dining is, you don't think of going to a steak restaurant for, you know, takeout or curbside. It's an event, right? And so if you don't feel safe inside a restaurant, you're not going to want to go to that particular restaurant. Those guys have been hammered. They've been down. Their sales are down. Most of them, 60, 80 percent. There's a room. There's a, a stat I saw recently that over 20 percent of the restaurants have closed since the pandemic. I mean, the more, yeah, very sad. Yeah, the margins. Yeah, it's sad because the margins are so small. There's so many moving parts. You think it's, you know, you, you see a full restaurant, it could be full and still not making money because you got to deal with the rent. You're right. The landlords pile on the property tax, they pile on the other charges, and you got all the food, the food cost and the, the labor cost. And so, restaurants' margin of profitability is very, very small. So, you can't have a lot of hiccups in, in your process. And so, when the pandemic came, if you were not prepared, to take some some hits, you're going to close, and so a lot of them close. No, no, we're we're not fine. We're actually still losing money. But it, what it is is that we were we were in the middle of a growth period, so we went from one restaurant to now six, and they were all at different stages in the last year. You know, two of them were being built. Two of them were in you know in renovation during the pandemic, and it was like we went to the landlords and said, "Look, we have two choices." We can stop construction or we can continue and see what happens. And they were like, no, no, please continue. Please continue. Because part of it is their money to build it out and yeah, part okay, of it is yeah, our money right. to build it. They don't get that payback it's, until you pay them rent back. And the T is basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And in fact, one of them downtown, I wasn't going to open it, but they were holding on to 10% of the last portion of the leasehold improvements. And I basically owed that to the construction company. And so we've now opened it up as, as kind of a pop-up from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. And, you know, downtown is kind of a ghost town in Houston. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that, you know, January came today. Obviously, it's the first day. So we're, we're anxiously watching to see how many people are coming back to downtown because the, the, the building owners are scared. They know they have to figure out ways to make them safe when people come in and out of those buildings to go to work. And, and then the companies that have employees obviously got to make sure they're safe. So I feel like there's a lot of safety protocols are in place that people are safe going back to work in these buildings. But I think as a world, we're seeing that a lot of productivity can happen at home. Yeah, uh, sure. work, 
work, working, you know, in your office. Now, do you like working in your office with your family and your dogs and all that <laughs> stuff? Do you want? Do you want to go into the office? Is the question. So I'm hoping there are a group of people that want to go back to the office because uh, we were banking on downtown. We're in the building that has five tunnels. It's a brand new building. It's uh, Waste Management's headquarters. It's Bank of America's headquarters. I mean, it's a it's a great place for us to be, and we're excited about it. But it's a it's a ghost town. And our other new restaurant was at uh, City Place, which is where the new HP headquarters are, and Exxon, and all those folks are there. So we were counting on all those people to be at work, and they're not at work either. So it's uh, that's been even that's probably been the most challenging. The people. In the Montrose and the Heights, they're you know they're eating. They're going to you know calling us curbside or Uber Eats or DoorDash or you know some of those ways to get the food to them. But the the places that we were opening were near business headquarters, yeah. business, business uh, occupancy, and it's just not there. So every time I talk to you, I get the optimistic. We are feeling fortunate. We are making the most of this. Um, but <laughs> but tell me, are you still are you? Is this really just a, a minimize the bleedings? Play, uh, point right now. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're minimizing the bleeding because we're building these restaurants that, that are not at capacity. Basically, we're at, even though the state says you could be at seventy five percent capacity, and I know there's a lot of people that are cheating on this. Yeah. We are at basically twenty five percent capacity because the six foot rule. If your mm-hmm. tables have to be six foot apart, you know you you can't. It's hard to have that much occupancy, and I know a lot of. Nobody's really checking it, but I, from our standpoint, we want to do what's right and what's safe. And so we're sticking to that lower occupancy. The great news is that now we used to have very little to go and take out in curbside. And now it's like 60% of our business. So my hopes are, my hope is that after the pandemic, we hold on to some of that curbside and take out business um, to continue as we fill the inside of the dining rooms. So that drive-through, was that something you created in the middle of the process? Yes. Was, was yes. It- so basically I, I, it was a thought and an idea I had and and we were looking and planning it and then there was one that came open in the Heights on 601 Heights Boulevard and we jumped in and wow. basically took over a lease. And within uh, maybe six weeks or eight weeks, we had it painted, changed, cleaned up. So the entire location <laughs> was not your radar. You took you, t- you took the entire location to get the drive-through. Yeah, we, it was a drive-through location that we okay. just said this is a perfect spot for us. Even though we had a restaurant, basically a mile, a full restaurant, a mile, a mile and a half away, and you know you could be worried about cannibalizing your own business, yeah. but it was a whole different model and. The drive-through is done really, really well because uh, you know 65 percent or sixty percent of it is people just staying in their cars, and then the rest we have a patio and a small dining room. They, the neighbors are coming in and buying stuff and taking it home, or they walking in and having having a little meal there. That one did not feel as risky, and in fact, that's what I'm focusing on now. Uh, we're in the middle of more expansion for the drive-throughs, okay. so we're trying to create more drive-through so you can see more common bonds around uh, around houston with drive-throughs so it didn't feel risky did was there was there at a time in a very distressed industry no no not at all we have an amazing product our pastries and our food is so good so it's the to me it's the matter of getting it out to the public and that's just one other avenue to get it to the public we have uh, as part of our expansion plan before the pandemic, 
is we created a commissary. So a lot of the cakes and the pastries and the breads and the things are made off site and brought in every day fresh. They just start baking at 4 a.m. And so for me to be able to afford the commissary, I have to get the product out because right. it takes less experts to be at one spot versus having them at each location. And so the drive-throughs were just a natural. In fact, I regret I didn't do them sooner. But okay, so, once the opportunity, so the strategy ends up being lower cost commissary for making the production that's central yeah. and only have to have one, and then minimize the need for very expensive retail space, and where you can yeah. just sell the product and not have to have all that yeah. kitchen space. Yeah. And so you just yeah, need you a reduce, it's a hub and spoke model. You need more you need yes. more spokes to get the hub to be valuable, yeah. and you can get them reasonably priced because they're small. The retail. Yeah, thing. so we're going a smaller footprint with a drive-through, exactly, and, and people feel comfortable. It's amazing. You, they'll have six cars in line. You, you notice this all the time, even at Starbucks. You eight to ten cars in line, and nobody's on, you know at the counter yeah. <laughs> waiting for service. So if you want to get out of your car and run in, you're like, okay, I could run in and get faster than waiting in line. But some people like to be in line and you know work on their phone and answer emails and texts and they you know I pull up. So I really want to unpack the thinking here. I think there's a lot to this and I and I don't want to let the conversation get distracted into the tactics of running a restaurant. Although that's yeah. interesting in and yeah. of, of itself. Yeah. I think a lot of people are very curious about that. But I think the restaurant industry is a kind of laboratory for innovation uh, because it you know it seemed you tell me about it. It seems friction free. You you were just sort of objective like well People are going to buy in their cars. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go mm-hmm. get a drive-through, and and mm-hmm. I don't think that that is that easy for people. A lot of people to adapt to. I think that's real ad- adaptive thinking. What do you attribute that ability for you to just sort of look out the objective landscape and say, like, all right, this is where we're going? Is that how you always think, or did you push yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of probably, you know, genetics and, and I, you know, my personality and, you know, leadership and then obviously learning all the, you know, the business books and, you know, things that I've read and in magazines and, you know, listening to people and, you know, from Amazon to anywhere, you just, you have to look at what's the customer want. You look at it from a customer's standpoint of what they, what they need. And what they're looking for, and then you try to provide it. I mean, that's that's the whole service industry to me. So I, I feel like I've been a servant leader since, you know, I was my first job. I mean, that's our job to please the people we're serving. So you just, for you, it's just a matter of you start with what's the need. And, and you can figure yeah. out a way to solve for it. And, and the risk is sort of neutralized by the fact that you did a good job figuring out what people need. Yeah, if you if you create a good culture and you provide a good value and a good service, then I think the customers come because that's what they're looking for too. I mean, I, I, when I'm a customer, I'm looking for a good value and I'm looking for good service. And yeah. so that's what we did in the rehab business, and that's what we're doing in the restaurant business. So, so what I I want to contrast that because I have talked to plenty of people, and I've experienced it myself. I I'm a lot. It's human nat- nature to be afraid of loss, and it's very difficult to see upside and potential for you when I'm worried about what I'm personally going to lose. And so if I'm looking at my business and I'm going, oh my God, how am I going to make payroll? I need yeah. more cash flow. I need more sales. No, I don't. I mean, I I don't I don't see it that way. I mean, I think that you can always, at least for me, I've been able to pivot to find what the needs are. You know, what I mean, it, it, my most of my younger life was in the rehab business, and 
And I knew that if we provide a good product, there are people that need help. And so we created the same thing at my first company. The right step is that we had hub and a spoke. We had inpatient facilities and we had outpatient facilities. And I knew that the insurance companies didn't like people staying in inpatient for long periods of time, but they would help pay for the outpatient. So we would start them in the inpatient and then we would step them down to the outpatient because the more someone's in under care, the better their outcomes are. In, in, as far as addiction goes. And so I just try to look at what the payer source wants and then tailor something that I'm comfortable with ethically and then provide that service at a great value. And I think those kind of things work in, in any kind of business. If you know, you got to obviously do marketing and get the word out that you're doing it. So you're not just standing there waiting for people. But once the word gets out and you provide a good service, then I think it spreads. And in the restaurant business, the, a lot of the word that's spreading, we don't do much advertising or any advertising. It's basically the word of mouth of other people in social media. Restaurants are really social media oriented businesses. I, I think it's your expert in Instagram. That's really where it's all coming from. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You've got the I've best of the best out there on the Instagram. <laughs> well, my wife wants me to quit <laughs> to pass it on. And my, uh, we now have a full-time marketing person. She wants me to pass it on to to somebody else which is fine i'm getting i'm getting close to doing that once we can afford it <laughs> you did your tour man i think you, you can you yeah, can do my tour. <laughs> so i think it's a good contrast um and maybe you can talk about the similarities but there, what, what are the similarities between the rehab business and the restaurant business are there any yeah i mean it's service it's you know one is getting people help and providing service one is giving hospitality we we have to provide hospitality at our facilities because you know you, you people still deserve respect and hospitality when they're staying in your facilities we have people that stay up to 30 days or longer uh, inpatient and it's basically like a hotel that we're providing counseling to and the same thing <laughs> yeah. at a restaurant they're having we want to provide our number one motto is genuine hospitality that's our number one core value for the restaurants and and the same thing in the rehab center so those are similar obviously you got hr you got marketing so we're marketing maybe to different targets but it's still marketing so sometimes we have joint meetings where the marketing teams meet with both companies because there are times that the rehab marketing people give good ideas to the the restaurant people and vice versa because it's you know you're getting a different opinion versus your own opinion you're getting somebody outside of your industry Okay. Well, that's um, interesting because what, what I discovered, a lot of the businesses I work with, when they struggle with growth, it yeah. becomes, I say, the universal business problem is lack of sales, which means yeah. it's not always the actual problem, but it, sometimes it manifests around a revenue yeah. problem. We, we don't have the revenue we wish we had. So we need to sell more, which usually flows back into, are we marketing well? And marketing is yeah. really about telling the story in a, in a way that is low friction for the right person to hear it to know that yeah. the solution to their problem is available right so we want to we yeah. want somebody who has a need to know there's a way to get their needs met and what i see consistently is the companies who that are in the leadership that is too distanced from their buyer the, the person with a need they're guessing and they flounder in the sales and marketing process those those companies and leaders who who really are plugged in to the community of people that they're trying to serve that they either are one of them or they live with them or they just sort of exude and absorb the the essence of their 
of their buyer, they can just they can just conduct. They can say, "This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it." And everything, the product and the service and the language and the words and the culture, all just match up to the customers, and they have no problem growing. How do you, it sounds? I hear that in you. How did you cultivate yeah. that? Has that been automatic, or do you work on making sure you're plugged into your best buyer customer consumer? Yeah, I think I think it was been a great learning process in the old days. You know, marketing was here. This is how great we are. <laughs> it's not that way anymore. It's what it's what your customer wants to know. You know, it's like the storybook. I think it is the, the book I read was called the storybook or something like that. I may be off, but story brand. Yeah, story brand. So what's what is not what you want to tell them. It's what they want to know about you. You know, you know, you could have these great fancy brochures or websites, but it, it, it turns people off if they can't interact with it or they don't feel like they they're getting their question answered so it's been a great learning process over the years is to know you know what what is it that the customer wants what is it they need to hear to make their decision those are the things that are so critical so like you said to have your ears open to always be listening to ask questions to you know when somebody refers somebody to a rehab center like what made you choose us you know or what why did you refer someone to us? Or if you chose us, why did you cho- choose us? You know, and learn those kind of things that so that you can do them better. And uh, in the restaurant industry, it was why, you know, when you come through and you have a great, satisfied experience, what was good about it? You know, I'll, I'll quiz people. I like quizzing people where they're from. Before the pandemic, we have people from all over the world that would come into Common Bond, especially uh, one lady told me once, she said, George, you know what I love about Common Bond? is that I could be sitting and I can hear different languages and different conversations in the restaurant because we're so international that people, even though they live here in Houston, they're, uh, they're international based or they're from other countries, but they love our pastries and our, our stuff. So uh, sometimes I see people get stuck because they ask that question a couple times because they're supposed to, not because yeah. it was automatic. Yeah. I see that more often than not, the people don't ask. Yeah. Maybe because they're too busy. Yeah. They're trying to get to the next thing or they're assuming and hoping it's good. Uh, I do find that people ask a couple times then and they, there actually sometimes is some pressure to either power through that maybe it wasn't perfect uh-huh. i selected you and if you ask the, the, the real hard question which is did we deliver on uh-huh. what you uh-huh. wanted us to? and uh-huh. well that's that could be scary uh-huh. um and i think that a lot of people personal experience is that sometimes when the bar goes really high uh-huh. and somebody says you know what this is i came here because this was the very best and uh-huh. i'd never seen anything on this level uh-huh. the the commitment to try to continue to live up to a high mm-hmm. standard, that's a lot of pressure. Like, yep. if somebody comes a raving fan, is the next person going to be able to the same raving fan mm-hmm. as that last person? Like, I don't. I just want to hope we can do good enough work, not yeah. amazing work, because yeah. I can't keep amazing all the time. Yeah, that's where culture comes in. That's yeah, so let's talk about culture. So, so you know, that's a big. That's been your thing through everything you've ever done. Yeah, it's about people. How do you get the culture conversation started? Well, I, th- I think it's one is setting the core values of what you're looking for when you interview someone to make sure it's a match. But the f- they have to be this. They have to, I want them to be similar to I am. Like, hey, if there's trash on the concrete on the parking lot, do you walk by it or do you pick it up? You know, those are the kind of things that if I'm doing it, I want the employees to see, oh, he's doing it. I better do it, too. But it's how to get that feedback 
to from the customer to the employees that they hear it without getting defensive and then utilize it. So for us, the employees are kind of our customers too, right? So when someone resigns, we do an exit interview because we want them to, that's usually the time they're the most honest about their feedback on how we serve them as a company. And the loyalty comes from providing the good environment and the, the loyalty is what helps keep the standards up. And then obviously you have to have the policies and the core values to keep those things consistent so that everyone hopefully has that raving fan experience. And, and when there is a blip, you know, you know, that I've given out gift cards because we, our service has not been good or, you know, they've been problems and, you know, we address them as we go, but, uh, for the thousands of people we see it a week in the restaurants, we're, we our odds are really, really good. Really keeping the culture strong. What are, what are the blind spots, the, the, the places where you get dinged, you think you're awesome, and they go, no, you're not awesome, we're, you're still working on it. What are some areas that are tough for you to keep the culture where you want it to be? It's, it's basically not firing the people that you need to fire fast. <laughs> okay. Hire, so- hire slow and fire fast. and. When you make a mistake on hiring the wrong person and it doesn't fit your culture, usually it's pretty obvious, but you have to make make those decisions. And it's it's awkward because you don't know who the, it's like, you know, it's like who's behind the closed door. <laughs> you know, this guy, yeah. this person may not be the greatest, but is it on the other side of the door? How long will it be or will we get somebody that's even better? And, um, and so I think that's the hardest thing in culture is to, one, to listen and give feedback to the uh to listen to the feedback and to make progress you know like little things and sometimes it's the simplest things that make a difference but like our hr person does this amazing newsletter and the newsletter in the beginning the front of it was all about how great we are i'm like no no i want the first parts of the newsletter to be about the employees in yeah. them what's what's great about them so now it's like who's the employee of the quarter or employee of the month and and then now we have where the managers can write examples of the employees core values like living the core values i love that stuff and so like today i walked in one of the restaurants and i knew somebody had got promoted and i wouldn't have known that if i didn't read the newsletter and so nice. I say, hey did you get a promotion recently and he's like yeah and i said man congratulations you know and then when i left the restaurant i said hey congratulations again on your promotion because those are the kind of things they remember is yeah. that you made that special touch when i sold my company in 2012 i gave uh a quite a bit of money to all the employees we set, we split it out based on sonority and things like that and that was great and everybody was grateful obviously but the thing that they remembered after the fact was that every employee i would send a birthday card with a 20 dollars bill in it and so that's what we do now we still we do it we still we started doing it at common bond and the hr folks was like you sure we want to do this and you know <laughs> it's still a 20 dollars bill yeah, yeah still we put a 20 dollars bill in it so it's like you know they were worried about handing it to them and you know how it's going to get to them they didn't want to mail it to them i'm like okay <laughs> so i mean there's two, there's two things that i, I want to not step past and one okay. is that 
that how to do those nice things and how to decide because a lot of yeah. people oh it's the handwritten note like well yeah. if your handwriting's terrible you know certain Mine is. there and there are people I think if you look at the some of the most notable leaders in history they could remember thousands of people's names and birthdays and kids names and like well I can't I can't I'm not even going to try to do that because I yeah. cannot remember that many yeah. names so understanding like how to you know how you figured out how to move your recipe of things to recognize people but before that well, I think I, I personally believe it's more important uh, to, to start with making sure you fire those people who don't fit how do you make sure you don't get stuck and, and the system doesn't get clogged full of non-core value fits how do you make sure that those get cleaned out I think that I think the simple one is to have more people interview like we had a we had someone that was running our new one of our newer restaurants and it was funny because the first day I'd met him he was there orienting and I just met him and I had a bad feeling mm. and, and I didn't interview him and so uh, before they hired him and I regret that I didn't go to them and say my president and my HR say I don't think this is a good fit and sure enough it wasn't a good fit and it took a while to find a replacement. And so that time they asked me, say, hey, can you sit in on this? Can you <laughs> interview this person as well? You got a new job out of that one. Yeah. So, I, it, But the person we have now, she's freaking amazing. And so it turned out well, but it's like how much pain did we go through by having that person? And it, it, the higher the level, the, the you can't work. I mean, it's the longer it takes to hire that person. And so to run a restaurant, you got to have somebody that's really sharp, and and it just wasn't a cultural fit for this guy. And and you know we, we wanted to fire him a while back, but it took a while to get to the point where we could make that uh, make that switch so it's seamless. So who's we? I mean, I really want to because I know a lot of leaders, a lot of visionary leaders, yes. and it's a known thing in the EOS system. We talk about the visionary and the integrator. The visionaries tend to be. Big picture and very inspirational, highly motivated t- towards good outcome. Yeah, very difficult for a lot of visionaries to fire people. And, and assessing the data of like, you know, this person really has been late five times. We really are firing them. Yeah. Where where the visionary is like, well, no, you don't you understand? <laughs> no, it's a tough time. So how do you on the leadership team make sure? Is there somebody who has that role? Do you? Yeah. How do you make sure nobody kind of gets put in the closet and 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 stays there like it, as a terrible culture fit for for weeks on end, months on yeah, end? Yeah, I think the HR is the one that you got to empower the most. Human resource knows the employees and. Obviously, you need one that's very objective because they're kind of the advocate for the employees with the leadership, with the ownership, but they're also the person that has to, to, you know, execute the accountability. And so in this situation, it was our president, Chris, and our uh, human resource director, Shay. You know, they basically knew that it had to happen and, you know, it took them a while to find the right person. But once they did, they were ready to make the move. So the president uh, and the head of HR. So yep. tell me, HR is a, is a is a function that I find varies widely in, yep. in terms of what people expect from it. So when you say HR, tell me a little bit about the roles. What do you ex- okay. what are you expecting from that leadership position? Human resource to me, leadership is critical because they are the quality control of all your employees. They are the gatekeeper for the quality of your employees and how the culture is exercised. So one of my early mistakes was two things. One, I didn't invest enough in the technology of business, the business. And number two, I didn't invest in the human resource 
most businesses, small businesses like I was in the beginning, the person who did HR was the person you trusted with payroll because they knew the salaries. And, and the payroll and the HR person, you know, you're concerned because there are people that may make more money than the HR person. It's very common that there are a lot of leaders that are more highly compensated than the human resource person. So obviously the human resource person has to understand the role and the, the dynamics of it. But that person to me is, is as important in the leadership team as anybody else because they are truly the gatekeeper of the, the work, the fuel to your engine of the employees. And so I think a lot of people underestimate the the beauty of HR, the benefits of HR. Now, some human resource folks, to me, are a little too uh, soft, <laughs> if that's okay. the word. They're not, they don't, it, you want to care for your employees, but you also have to hold accountability. So we have a situation with one of our companies where the human resource personnel, we feel like, is not company-oriented enough. Like, they, they buy into too much for the employee, which is, good we want them to be an advocate for the employees but if you enable your employees it hurts everybody because if you let things slide with one employee the other employees get resentful and then what happens to their performance they go like oh well sally's always like you were talking about earlier sally's always late i'm i'm not going to be worried about being on time and then you're chasing everybody to be on time and then you're like oh lord why why is nobody showing up at eight o'clock when they're supposed to so human resource done well is so critical. So uh, how did you get there? Because what I expensive to get somebody who's very talented and passionate and can be an extension of the CEO into the culture. It sounds like you've been able to do that. And I don't find that very often at the, at the size of companies yeah. you're talking, even 30, $40 million, yes. not that easy. Yeah. How yeah. did you get there? And, 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 and your mindset, you know, did you have to realize you're going to have to pay a lot of money that people aren't used to paying in that position or how did that come about? It's just, it was just pain. I mean, it was a pain point. <laughs> okay. It's like, if you don't do it well, I mean, the lady I had in my original company that was kind of the administrative person, her nickname was Ankle Biter. I mean, she, she, she was too company oriented and not employee oriented. I mean, she would tell the employee stuff that probably now this was in the 90s. So probably nowadays it wouldn't even, you know, be in lawsuits. But she was just too tough on the employees. But, you know, we trusted her with the finances. So it was a painful lesson to learn that, hey, you had to differentiate those roles, that payroll could be done by the financial people, but the caring of the employee and the records and the benefits and the things that are all circle around the employee has to be somebody who really understands that, and that's typically human resource. And that's interesting. So, so encourage people to not use titles because titles yeah. people think what they know what a, what a CFO is or a CEO mm-hmm. and it's like you don't because there's no actual clear definition yes. of that and human resources is definitely in the category of oh I know what you mean no you don't <laughs> yes, yes, and so yes. there's this concept of the integrator which is really about um Making sure people are accountable and being data driven. Your HR yep. person sounds to me like almost working towards chief of staff, somebody who is yeah. uh, really capable to understand. No, I mean, I, I've been fortunate. The person that Common Bond's been with me since the, you know, I got involved as CEO of Common Bond a couple of years ago. So she's kind of filled right in. And so it's been a good match. I don't think they're as much of a chief of staff as more of an advocate because. 
someone would have a supervisor and they have an employee and she's kind of in the middle where she watches, understands both sides of it. So she can empathize with the supervisor. She can empathize with the employee and then tries to make that conduit because there's sometimes that supervisors have a hard time explaining or holding their employee accountable. And there's sometimes employees have a hard time talking to their boss about some of the issues that they have. And, you know, to be effective in your job, if you have issues with your boss, you typically won't be that effective. So let's get it out on the table. And if you don't feel safe going directly to your boss, then let's let's go to the human resource person. So, so the referee, more, coaching. Uh, and, yeah, and so, yeah. Okay, so actually, it sounds yeah. like that's kind of the play there. How, did, how does that play into the authority of, say, the president, who is more likely, in my mind, and maybe not in your world, but in my mind, the yeah. president's going to be sort of the – spice in this like where an hr person is going to have sort of data and the president's going to be yeah. like we can't do this and and this yeah. leadership team is going to have to execute and get the non-fits out is that how yeah. it plays out sort of like in- i think it's a team yeah. yeah i think it's a team effort i mean if the if the hr and the supervisor can address it and deal with it and that person's not a fit then they can deal with it but yeah ultimately the president the ceo the you know the, the buck rises yeah. when there's trouble it, it rises it doesn't drop so yeah so hopefully things are handled at the lower level and if not they'll eventually come up to the higher levels and the higher levels have to make a decision and, and then people have to execute them so how does how has that played out over the last several months of the pandemic have you had to change accountability and hr strategy given the the pressures and, and what you know what's that been like it's been it's been COVID. I mean, it's been how to deal with people in quarantine and, you know, you know, making sure you have employees to show up, you know, to do their job and they're safe. You know, if they're having, you know, been around somebody that's COVID, we don't want them near anybody, either, you know, patient from the rehab center or from the restaurant perspective. So we've had windows where the people we've been out of people to work for two weeks at a time or whatever. Yeah, 14 days of quarantine. So that's it's been challenging, and so the human resource re- becomes a recruiter, a employee placement. Uh, we have people yeah, moving from different yeah. locations to help each other to you know to fill in, and and then you know the the person who's always telling everybody about the CDC. <laughs> these are the, right. these are the CDC guidelines. Please follow our guidelines because a lot of our workforce is younger, especially in the front of the house to to serve the you know at the restaurant at the Common Bond. So they're like, all right, well, you know, what pandemic, you know, I'll wear this mask, but what pandemic? No, like, hey, we want you safe for your eight hours of work, but we, we want you safe for the other, your other hours too, your other 16 hours of life. Yeah, for lots of reasons, just because you want people to be in good shape, but also because it affects yeah. their safety, your safety yeah. at work. So so this is this is such a great auspicious day, I think, year. And I've just had nothing but great conversations uh, since really over the last couple of weeks. But it'll kick kind of culminating today around such great energy. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that it's not over, especially for restaurants and hospitality. We've got yes. a lot of masks uh, in our lives for, for a while. We've got a lot of uh, hospital and medical challenges in a lot of people's lives. I, I am much like you said. I am looking at safety and slow growth to get through this. Don't make mistakes. Look at what you have to do to keep 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 the focus on what's important now as you plan for later in the year when the pandemic hopefully is over. But 
you know, a lot of people, when we just started back in March, they thought, oh, it's going to be done in a, in a month or two months. We'll be back to normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be a year plus yeah. that we're in this way of yeah. living. And so keep looking for the opportunities. Keep looking for the improvements. Keep looking for ways to be prepared and to, you know, like you said earlier, uh, you know, bucket down the hatches and, and you know, get, let's keep getting through this without getting complacent and, and thinking it's all over too soon because those are the people who are going to pay a big price if they they take too many shortcuts and get too complacent. So, uh, again, we go back to human resource. <laughs> She's like a broken record, yeah. and I hope people are listening, but it's you have to be safe. And, you know, my family's the same way. They're like, they're concerned about my safety and make sure I'm doing what I do. And, and, and you know, we're going to get through this. And then toward the end of the next year, you know what we've learned in this year how it's going to play out we don't know how many people are going to stay do using amazon and you know online versus coming in how many people are going to use curbside versus coming into the restaurants i, I don't think it's going to be like a light switch i think it's going to be a gradual return to what it's like but not what it was like before so i think that's all potentially but there's a lot of truth in all that Everybody's learned something about themselves and the yeah. world. We know that. But what I also find is that when we, particularly doing long-term planning, I do a, an annual session or a quarterly session, we go back to our, our vision document, our vision traction organizer, and we look long-term, what are, what are our core values? Where are we going 10 years from now? What are we, what's our three-year picture? Who's our best customer? And you know, what's our one-year plan? And when we answer, answer those questions so often, and even in the height or depth of the crisis, so little of that has changed and it was kind of nice to realize that you know even in the height of chaos we had a plan and we can stick with it and and what drive drove us then still drives us and and the things yes. that we need to do to be successful really haven't actually changed you know the playbook is still there you know when we're under duress the plays we rehearsed so there ends up being kind of this contradiction of what we've learned and what we've now realized really never changed has the game changed for you, or what, what have you learned about that relationship between the new knowledge and the, and the timeless knowledge? I don't think the game has changed, but I do think that the, the um, how would I word it, the weakness has changed. Like you didn't, people didn't tolerate things that doesn't work. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's why you've seen a lot of places close because it's like, hey, that was a marginal business before, so it's definitely not going to make it through this pandemic. That was a marginal employee before. You know, this is a time they need to be stepping up. This might be a good time to let that employee go. We had a, a person that uh, resigned recently, and the team in that department voted, which I love, to not replace him. That they felt like they could do it without that person. So, from a company's perspective, you know, we saved a salary, and I hopefully we'll share some of that salary if they were able to achieve it. And, and give them a bump because that took a lot of courage and commitment to the company to say, hey, we don't need to bring in another person. We can do this job without that person being here. So that's what you want. That's the strength you want. So when you come out the pandemic, you're going to remember hopefully that loyalty that they showed to you and hopefully the company will show it back to them as you get through it. It's, it's such an interesting story uh, when I sort of rewind the year the uncovering of things like well the, the formula hasn't changed innovation still the same we still need to 
look at what our customer needs, like you said. And this, this, the only difference is we've got to cut through some fear. And so we got we got our tactics change. I got to go get myself unafraid back, and now I can innovate a little bit better. If I let the news into my mind, that throws me off my game. A lot of people tell me, like, hey, number one thing I learned in 2020, like, don't watch the news. It does not help you feel good every day. Turn that off. So there's, there's things, there's tactics that change about how to do the stuff we already knew with your payroll. You can't have extra people. We knew that. But when we were really disrupted and our life was on the line, we tried stuff that, that we, that we yeah. wouldn't have tried before. And you, you know what? This is really yeah. great. We've saved a lot of money. We were wasting money because we were just a little bit lazy in, in yes. some of this. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, a lot of people are realizing they don't need to have as much travel, business oh travel, because they could just log on to, to Zoom and, and deal with the, still see the people. You may not have the same, same effect, but you don't have to go stay in a hotel and get on an airplane. So. Some of that's going to change, I think, for permanent. Yeah, for me, I've taken exactly that message away, that I can do a lot remotely that I couldn't do before, a lot. And I know the power of in-person, and I want to play that card appropriately and and not dismiss it because it's powerful. Really getting people in the room is very powerful, and you 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 have a nice mix of recipe. I can work with people all over the – I I don't like the time zone, so I like to stay kind of North America. (laughs) Well, actually – in my time zones, you know, Western, you know, the Pacific through Eastern time zones. But other than that, I'm, I'm not constrained anymore. And getting on a plane is yeah. much less common. Well, yeah. Man, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, what, yes. you know, thinking about 2021 and what you've learned in 2020, what is your passion? I think the passion plea goes back to, you know, understand your customer and provide the best possible service you can provide so that, you know, business, having business or having revenue can uh, help you make mistakes. <laughs> you can't make mistakes if you have very little revenue. If you, if you have a business that's doing well enough to get the customer, then you, you, could, you have room error, you know, a little room to have error. But if you don't have the business and the cash flow, you, you can't you can't have a business. So I think it's marketing, get the business, and make sure you execute it as well as you can. I, I bear repeating and emphasizing that that revenue you've gotten a hold of comes through your hands dirty work, getting those customers, mm-hmm. clients, patients mm-hmm. uh, into the program with a rich experience that it meets their needs and your understanding of what they need. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think I talk about this a lot, sort of this, the singularity of sales and marketing in the early, early days, you have to have a great yeah. unity from a leadership perspective around what they need. And then you can, you got to do the work to make sure you're delivering something. And you are a great example yeah. of like, you know, what, everything you said, particularly in the first, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of this conversation was, well, we, we decided we knew what they needed. And we knew what they, mm-hmm. and then we could execute on what we know knew the people needed. And until you have that yeah. confidence, it's it doesn't work. Yep. Well, man, I'm so grateful for all the time. Uh, George you. is so good, so inspirational. I, I, every, I always love our conversations. If somebody wanted to get a conversation with you or kind of track what's going on, how does somebody find you? They find you on LinkedIn or, or your website, or is there a way that people just kind of follow what you're doing? It, it, your Instagram? Yeah, sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram, comment Bond. I'll answer your direct message. But uh, I think LinkedIn you can find me or my email is uh, CEO at GeorgeJoseph.com. It's pretty easy. Awesome, Matt. C- Go ahead. Go ahead. It'll be, it'll be in the show no, notes. CEO at CEO at georgejoseph.com. Just send me an email. That'd be great. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's it for today. And we will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.